Bible, open up to 2 Kings chapter 5. Tell your kids, this is 
a good role model. You need to try to strive after that. And, and all of us have things in our lives if, that we look at and we look at other people and we judge them according to what we see. A lot of people will look at him and go, man, he, he's got life all together. You know, he's, he's experienced a great success. But then there's but. You know, but he was a leper. And so when you look at leprosy in the Bible, leprosy is a disease to where basically, and leprosy is a, is a representation or a picture of sin in our lives. Uh, but leprosy is a horrendous disease that where you basically your flesh rots. You know, everything starts falling apart and eventually you die a horrific death. And so it was an incurable disease. But he was a leper, and so basically he was a dead man walking. Uh, and, and this is exactly what, what sin is in our life. Uh, sin is like leprosy. It basically slowly eats our lives, not just fleshly, but spiritually inside. Sin is what has robbed us of life. It is what we, what we have to deal with. And, and what's strange about this picture is when you look at, uh, look at people's credentials, and maybe I want you to look at your own life this morning, a lot of times you, you judge your life by your credentials. Or by your resume, you like, you know, I have this, and I've attained that, and I, you know, I, I, I own this, and I've been here, and I've been a part of that, and, and, you know, honestly, we can even have a spiritual resume that we approach God with. You know, I go to church every time the doors are open, and I read my Bible, and I, you know, I don't do this, and I'm moral, and we've got this list of things that we oftentimes check, and we see if we're measuring up to the standard that we set for ourselves, and if, you, if you're one of those people, religion, that's, that's exactly what religion does. Religion says, in order to approach God, in order to make sure that you're right with God, then you have a certain list of credentials that you have to meet, that you bring and you present to the Lord of what you have, and sometimes it's what you have not done, and you present that to the Lord, but here's the thing. As long as you, you can have all the credentials in the world, you can become successful as you want to be. You can go to church as many times you can meet here. You know, while we're not here, just go out, go to church. I'm really all these different things that you and your eyes present to the Lord. But you're a leper. You know, we always got to come back and go, you know what? I, I can even use myself. And I can go, well, you know, he, he owns his own business and he, he's got a house and he's got property and he's got things. And you know what? He's been here and he's been that and, and he's a preacher and he's been in church his whole life and all these different things. And if I, in all of that, am trying to come to a place where I present this as this is what my life's about, this is what I want to bring to the Lord, apart from Jesus, I would have, you know, but in my life, but he's a sinner. Doesn't matter what your credentials are. You can be a homeless person living under a bridge somewhere, okay? Or you could be one of the richest kings in the world of whatever country you choose, the president of the United States. And on the day of judgment, you can present all of your credentials, all of what you become, how great you were, and all of these things. But you're still a sinner. You're still a dead man walking. And it's no different than a picture of if you had. You know, a, a prisoner, somebody who was in, in the penitentiary for something they had done and they were on death row. You can give them the finest bed in their cell. You can decorate it, paint it, put, you know, pictures, whatever. Pour the pour the, the slab that he walks on in gold and the bars in silver and all those things. He's still a dead man. 
in a matter of time. It doesn't matter how you dress it up. There's so many times in life we want to dress up everything in life to say that we've got life figured out and everything's good. But there's one thing that every person who's ever breathed the breath of life has to deal with is, and that's that sin that you can't deal with according to what you come up with or your credentials. Am I making sense? You know, and a lot of times, and I know you got people sitting here going, oh, here, here we go, it's a salvation message and I'm saved. But you know what? There's a lot of people who are saved that you have secret sin in their lives. And maybe you're not going to end up hell from it, but you know what? Maybe you're going to live in hell because of it. You understand what I'm saying? Because there's a judgment on sin, and as long as a believer, I have these secret sins in my life, I can go along and I can I can tell you know well, Lord I realize I do this but I this and that da 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 and I want to I want to convince God that it's okay that I'm involved in this in this secret sin in my life because all of these other things these these credentials that I have spiritually should do away with these few things that I don't want to deal with or don't want to give up and those things are the things like leprosy that just eats away. It eats away at my life, it eats away at my joy, it can eat away at my marriage, it can eat away at other relationships, it can eat away at the opportunities that God gives me. But so many of us want to try to overcome those instead of dealing with the sin. We want to go around it, cover it up, paint it up, and overcome it by certain credentials. And so, here's this man, no matter how great his life appeared on on the outside, other people viewed him as a great man. But when he looked at himself, he could not go past the, the point that he was a leper. He had a deadly disease. And so in that, notice what it says in verse 2. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited or served on Naaman's wife. Then he said to her, or she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. So you've got this little girl, or this young girl. And here's the thing I want to point out. What was her name? You know, it goes into describing Naaman. We know his name. We know his title. We know his role. We know his accomplishments. But with this right here, all we know of her is that she was a young girl from Israel. We don't know her accomplishments. She was unknown by man. She was unknown by her enemy. But she was known by God, and she knew God. Y'all wait today. We're not going to have another original Sunday before last. I'm going to make it. So here's the thing. I want you to see this. If you're sitting in Naaman's place, because all times when you when you read the story, you focus on Naaman, you focus on Elisha, and you miss the little girl. She's probably the most important character of this story in the Bible. And I'll get to that in just a minute. But here's the thing. God knew Naaman was a leper. God knew that he was Naaman's only hope to deal with that leprosy. And in all this, he placed that young girl who would be a faithful witness in this place, it was not a comfortable place for her. It was a place where she was surrounded by her enemies. But in order for Naaman to hear the truth and to respond to that he could be healed from a deadly disease, God placed this young girl there. Is anybody with me this morning on that? And then this, I want you to get this. You're, you're the exact same person. If you're here today and you're a believer, this is your part, hopefully, in the story. 
that we're in a place surrounded by our enemies. Our enemies are not people. Our enemies, the Bible said, are not flesh and blood, but we war and we wrestle against spiritual enemies. And we're surrounded by a, a world of people who do not believe, a world of people who have a deadly disease. They're trying in every way by their own means to overcome this sin curse in their life. And it always comes back to the place where they're defeated and they recognize that they can't overcome it themselves. And what they need is somebody, and I want to say this, a nobody. Because it's not about you. We don't know who she is. We don't know what she had done. We don't know anything about her. But she was the key factor for this great man to experience the life change that God had for them. She didn't quote the Bible. She didn't give, you know, a theological recitation of all of her knowledge and, and experience. She simply stated a fact. Basically, in redneck terms, and I wish she was able to get in contact with the prophet who's in Israel because he's a man of God. He could heal him. If he just knew, he would be my, you know, if I could just, you're here this morning like, I feel like that leper. I feel like I, I, there's sin in my life or maybe you're lost and you don't know Christ your Savior. I, I'm miserable and I'm in a place where I've tried to overcome this in so many ways and I've reached out to the world and I've reached out to, to bad relationships and I've reached out to all these things to try to find you know, like what Cody was singing about, that's what you're looking for is the love of Jesus. And what you're looking for, I would like to be, I don't want to be a young girl, but I would like to be that that nobody. I do I want to be that nobody who goes, it's not about you coming to church or you hearing the messenger. It's not about the messenger, it's about the message. And as a witness for Jesus, it's not about you. You know, when you're talking to somebody, answering all the theological questions and, and giving them all the, you know, how the cosmos came together in your opinion, is simply to go, well, you know what, Jesus radically changed my life. And if you knew him, if you could find him, if you would go to him, he can do the same thing. Because obviously this little girl had either heard about or seen the things that Elisha, the prophet of God, or that God accomplished through Elisha. And she's like... It's the same answer. You go to him. He takes care of it. You know, I was reading in Acts this week while I was going through all this study. And, you know, in, in the book of Acts chapter 11, it talks about a group of people when Saul of Tarsus was bringing about persecution. You know, they scattered. And it said and they scattered and they went as far as Cyrus and Serene and Antioch. And everywhere they went, they preached Jesus. Didn't say they preached all these different topics and ideas and how you can have a greater life and how you can overcome the troubles and how you can go through the trials of COVID. Said they preached Jesus and many heard and believed. You know what we're called to be a witness of? The gospel of Jesus. And if you can't give somebody that, you don't possess it yourself. But I'm here to tell you that is our absolute hope. If I had anything to tell you this morning, it would not be. If you're here and you're like, I struggle with this in my life, or I'm lost, I don't know what to do, or this area of my life's falling apart, or I don't know God and what I need to do to find Him, my, my advice might be, just keep coming to church. Keep coming to church. Do better. Put things out of your life. Try harder. You know, all those things. Walk in front of the church. Make a profession. My, my counsel would absolutely be, you need to see Jesus. He is your only hope. Understand, when Daniel was here, he had one hope. One hope. And that hope was, if I can come into contact with this man of God, and God can fix me, because only God can fix me, that was his hope. Apart from that, dead man. 
And I'll tell everybody here this morning, that's your only hope. Jesus is our only hope. It's not about what all we've done. Don't give me your credentials. Well, I've been in church my whole life, and I was baptized 13 times, and I take communion, and I this and I that, and all these different things, because all those things are not going to change your heart. What we need is we need forgiveness. We need healing from what sin has brought in our life, and there's only one healing. So when you look at this, I want to be like this young person who was like, you know, I'm just going to tell you what I know. You do what you want with it. You didn't see her say, you didn't see her go to name like modern day evangelists go, name, name. You know, I, I need you to come over here. Come in front of all these people and we're going to pray this sinner's prayer. Maybe God will hear your leprosy. You know, a prayer, a sinner's prayer, and all that stuff that you hear and see is not what changes your heart. It's the person of God in Jesus Christ that changes your heart, that heals the soul from leprosy, that makes you, makes you like the Bible says, white as snow. You need Him. And if you don't have Him, you have nothing but another credential. Right. You understand what I'm saying? Amen. No, you don't. <laughs> so, um, let's look at His natural response. Looking in, in verse... Um, where is it at? He said, uh, she said, if only my master were here with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would heal him of his leprosy. Now, Naaman heard this. Okay? A lot of people hear the news. A lot of people hear the gospel. A lot of people come to church and they're in a desperate place in their life. And they're looking and they're searching. And all of a sudden, you know, a preacher or, or a, somebody stands up and gives a message. Maybe it's a Sunday school teacher. Maybe you go to your mom and dad and they, they tell you about something to do with the Bible. Or they talk to you about the Lord and you hear it. And you've got, a, you've got an inkling of hope. You're like, all right, most people, here's what you do. All right, I'm going to go to church. And I'm not saying church is not good. But church is not God. You understand what I'm saying? Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. <laughs> and so here's what his natural response is. He goes, um, and Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. And then in verse 5 it says, Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. What's the problem? little girl didn't say, if he could just get in touch with the king, he'd be he said, if my, She said, if my master could go to the prophet, if my master could go to, at that time, the man of God, he would heal him. But you know what? He, he's an important person. He needs a little bit of something more flashy in his life. So he does what? Naaman doesn't go to the prophet. He goes to his king. Their king says, you know what, I'll write a letter, I'll send it, and I'll tell that king to take care of this. And they totally skip God's way. Right. All of a sudden, he's doing things in his own way. And then he goes and he says, you know what, we're going to impress him. A lot of people come to church. You know, and hopefully if it's a good church there, the church is pointing you to Jesus, alright? A good pastor, a good teacher, or a good parent will always point you to Jesus. But somehow, it goes from a person's mouth to go, you need Jesus to, you need to go to church. And so, instead of humbling ourselves to go to the Lord, we're like, alright, I'm going to take my route. And then the next thing you know, we do like you did, and we want to impress. Notice what it says? Then the king of Syria said, go now, I'll send a letter. Uh, to the king of Israel. So he departed. He took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, ten changes of clothing, and then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised. You notice who's doing the advising? They're not listening. 
They're advising. I'm going to tell God how he needs to fix my leprosy. I'm going to impress God with all this offering that I'm going to bring. I'm going to buy God and make a deal with him that if he'll just fix me, then I'll give him all of this stuff. Right, and so he's giving advice rather than taking in what God said. It's amazing. If you would have just listened to the simple message of that girl, we could have skipped all of this. But it's too simple. There's a lot of people like, oh, that's Jesus' name. Humble yourself, repent, trusting in Jesus. just sounds too simple. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to do what I think I need to do. And I'm going to approach God in my way. And I'm going to get all dressed up. And I'm going to go to church. And I'm going to appear to be good. And I'm going to put it all together. I'm going to smile. I'm going to shake hands. I'm going to get the Christian lingo. I'm going to do all these things. And I'm going to come back home. And I'm going to you know, put on my regular everyday clothes. And still look at myself and figure out I'm still a leper. What's the deal? God's not doing what he said he would do. You didn't do what God said to do. Right. You gave God your own advice. And you brought your great wisdom to the Lord of wisdom. Ain't that funny? Now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent, naming my servant to you, that you may heal him of this leprosy. You know, they're, they're all of a sudden going to impress him. They're going to make a deal. And now he's looking to man. When the girl said go to the prophet, he goes to the king. And here's the thing. You only get the right results when you go to the right source. You only get the right results. You only attain the promises. Notice what it's called, the promises of God. It's not called the promises of the pastor. There's a lot of people there. I'm going to go to the preacher, maybe him and his wife, or, or he can fix what we've got going on. I can't even fix myself. Well, I'm going to go to the church, or I'm going to go to this person who's been in church for a really long time, or I'm going to, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there, and I'm going to seek. And a lot of worldly people go to, you know, all these psychologists and psychiatrists, and, and I'm not knocking those things. They have their place, I guess, but I'm just saying, they're not going to fix you that person. You understand? And so, you only get the right results when you go to the right source. And the greatest results, listen to me, if you're going to get counsel, if you wonder if the person you're going to is giving you the right counsel, then you need to pay attention if they're somebody or if they're nobody. Because here's the thing, nobody will always point you to the only somebody who can fix what you've got going on. That's right, right. But when you have a person that's always telling you how they would do it and how great their life is and all these things that you need to do so that you can be like them, you need to find different counsel. If you're going to be like the, 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 the girl who was the witness to this man, when people come to you, don't tell them your great philosophies of life. Because they're going to be messed up just like you are, that you don't even realize you're messed up. What we should do is always, in everything, being a witness means, you know what I would do? I would go to Jesus. Well, what exactly does that look like? Go to Jesus. Bob said, you'll find him when you search after him with all your heart. So many of us, we want to, we want to put it on. Well, I need, a, I need something tangible. I need a five-step, you know, course. I need you to tell me to read these three verses, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through this process. I'm gonna spend an hour in church, and I'm gonna, you know, do all this stuff, and then all of a sudden, my life ought to be good. When your life is not based upon a five-step project, it's based upon a living relationship with a Savior who forgives, who heals, who restores, who directs, who, who does everything good for us. And you'll notice what the king said. The king, had, he was the only one smart in this. He said, and it happened when the king of Israel read the letter. He tore his clothes and said, am I God? Man, I, there's been a lot of people that I'd like to say that to. 
when they come to you or they come to church and they're having the misery of life that sin brings and you stand up and you teach or you stand up and preach and you don't to preach some of y'all you give counsel to these people and then you see them two months later and marriage is falling apart, the family's falling apart, their lives still fall apart, or they're still involved in the God that's living and all the things that they're doing, and they look and go, you know what, I came to church and I listen to you preach, I'm going, my God, am I God that I can fix you? No, I'm not. I'm a sinner just like you, pointing to the God that fixed me. That's right. <laughs> so in this, you know, if you're here this morning, I'm looking, I'm looking for this, and I'm looking for life, and I'm looking for peace, and I'm looking for joy, and I'm looking for love, and I'm looking for forgiveness, and I'm looking to overcome all these things that this has brought in my life, then you look, need to look no further than when you look to the cross. Right. And so, here's the thing. Notice what it says. He says, am I God to kill, to make alive, that this man sends me, uh, uh, this man sent to me to heal him of leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So it was that when Elisha, notice what it says, when Elisha, the man of God, I want to to point out that an Old Testament prophet is very different from a New Testament pastor. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. So Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had tore his clothes, that he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me. And he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Alright, here's what I want you to pay attention to at this point. If you are here this morning and go, I really need the power of God to move in my life. I've got things going on. I've got, I've got whatever in my life that is, that is absolutely falling apart, troubles, all of these things. And, and, and I need to see the hand of God move in my life. This is the only way. That you're going to see it. There's no other route. You know, God doesn't make deals to you. Please don't go, you know, God, I'll come to church every week if you'll this. The Lord doesn't need your church attendance. You need the Lord. And so he says, verse 9, then Naaman went. Now notice Naaman's, this is so American. Notice Naaman's response. Then Naaman went with his horse and his chariot. And notice what he did. He stood at the door of Elisha's house. You know, I have to think about it with American Christianity. I'm not saying that, you know, I know the Bible says we confess with our mouth Jesus. When somebody walks forward in the church, and this ain't how it was always, and it's not how it is in a lot of churches. But the only reason that you, when you come forward and you go, I want, I want everybody to know that I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. That's something that takes place between you and the Lord, not between you and here. That's right. The fact that you stand here and go, I've trusted Jesus as my Savior doesn't make you saved. That's no different than Naaman standing before the door. Later it says he expected the prophet to walk out, wave his hand. And I think there's a lot of people that expect when you walk in this magical place that the pastor gets up and waves his hand and says some kind of sinner's prayer. You stand and go, I'm saved now. And wrong answer. Because that would be so easy, wouldn't it? Wouldn't everybody be saved? Tell you the truth, Lord, I mean, we where you at right now, sit. That's right. And so he says he stood at the door of Elisha's house and <laughs> looked at what Elisha's response. And Elisha sent a messenger to him. Elisha didn't even get up and go outside. There's a lot of people who think that because, you know, they, they come to church and they want to approach, you know, like, like you ought to just be overwhelmed that that person is at church and you're so blessed to be there in their presence. And I'm not being ugly or, or arrogant or prideful, but, but, but I've said it before. 
Heaven will be heaven without you. Heaven will be heaven without me. If I die and go to hell, it doesn't change heaven. It doesn't change God. Everybody's not going to be in heaven weeping and mourning over your dead soul. None of that. You're not that important. Neither am I. And the fact that I walk into a church, into a worship service, and I think that everybody ought to be happy and, and blessed because I'm there. You know what I'm doing? Worship me because I'm here. You know, everybody ought to be impressed because I'm here and I'm actually going to, you know, go and talk to the preacher and tell him something like, you know, Elisha was like, let me explain something to you. He stood at the door like, this should be such an honor for Elisha. And remember who Elisha is representing here. And that's what we, sometimes we come to the Lord like, all right, Lord, I'm in church. We approach God with an arrogant, prideful attitude. Is anybody beside me here at times in your life when your wicked, sinful heart was bringing about destruction in your life and all of a sudden you blessed God and you went to church and you didn't do anything as far as humbling yourself, going to Jesus himself. You just showed up at church and thought God ought to wave his hand over you, fix your life, and when he didn't, all of a sudden you looked at the heavens and went, I went to church twice this month. And nothing's changed. That's this, this is the attitude he's got. Am I the only one here, people? Come on, y'all liars. Everybody here has probably done that at some point in time in your life. Where, where you went through some quick process and you thought God ought to be so impressed that you went, you know what, for 35 years you've wrecked your life and you've wrecked everybody else's life around you. But since you... So bless me with your presence this morning, and you gave me 30 minutes, only 10 minutes of undivided attention. I'm just going to wave my hand from heaven, and it should be lost when you want. And when it doesn't, all of a sudden you're ticked at the God of heaven who never told you he was going to do that for you to start with. I think what happens is if you're going to see the power of God move your life, we need to get a real proper perspective of who God is and who we are. <coughs> And so it is. You know, he stands at the door. Elisha sends a messenger. Because here's the thing. In the kingdom. And this is probably going to upset some folk in here. But in the kingdom, you and I are nothing. In the kingdom, you and I are an absolute nobody. There is one throne in heaven and Jesus sits on it. He's the only one who will ever sit on it. He's the only one worthy of our worship. He's the only one worthy of my attention, my praise, my adoration, and we love Him with all my heart. One person died on the cross, was buried, rose again, and it wasn't me or you. And we are absolute nothing. The Bible said He knows that they are dust. And a lot of people will never see the salvation of the Lord in your life. They'll never see the power of God in your life. They'll never see the healing of God in your life. Because you think that life revolves around you. And that God ought to be impressed with you so much. Because you have all these great credentials. And you're this great somebody. And you're this moral person who has so much religion in our life. That God ought to just go, wow, ask whatever you want. I'm just going to do it for you. And it doesn't work that way. And a lot of us... Teach our kids that. That's the way we. That's the way we've been raised, and that's the way we raise up our kids to go. You know what? Life's not about humility. Life's about you being so great that everybody just wants to serve you, and everybody dotes you, and everybody does everything for you. And you should never have to struggle or suffer or any of those things. And then all of a sudden, when those little brats grow up, they go to God and they approach Him in that way to impress God, and God's like, I'm not impressed. I'm not doting. Are y'all with me? I'm almost done. So I'm just out of here, Lord. 
That might be the only prayer answer for you today. <laughs> so here's the thing. Elisha understood that this. Here's the point. This, think about this man's focus. God is so good that he's trying to teach this man. God wants to release the power of healing in his life. But in order to release that, this man, you have to approach God in the right way. You can't. You don't approach God your way. You approach God His way. So God's teaching him, and, and it's like I'm sure the Lord said, "Elijah, you just stay seated because it's not about you." What was Naaman looking to? He was not looking to God at that point in time. He was looking to Elijah. And all of a sudden, and you wonder why sometimes I'm, I'm just just come out. You wonder why sometimes pastors fail and fall. Because some of you look at the pastor as the one who you hope to get something from. And then all of a sudden when he fails, you're like, that moron's no different from me. Been telling you that my whole time with you. Right? That hopefully you'll go, well, if he can't do it, and he can't fix me, or she can't do it, and she can't fix me, what do I look to? And the Lord's like, hey, to the one you should have been looking to the whole time. You know, one of the factors you see in the story is he sends a little girl, he sends this messenger out. These are nobodies. We don't know their name. We don't know nothing about them. But they're doing the greatest work of eternity here. Does that not give some of you nobodies some hope? You know, it's not about being on a stage. Or uh, I think on the day of judgment, it's not going to be sitting around going, "All right, here comes Charles Haddon Spurgeon." Very Christian, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, man. I was expecting this. Hey, Billy Graham's up next. It's going to be somebody like, "Well, here comes you know Tom Bingo, whatever his name is." Who is that? What would that be like? You know. You're sitting there expecting all these great people who held a stage and pastored mega churches and went overseas and then Travis Walker shows up and the Lord's like, let me tell you what Travis did and nobody else said. Let me tell you what he did far greater that, that caused generations to be changed far more than Billy Graham. I would rather be a nobody. Because you're never going to be somebody in the kingdom until you become nobody in this world. And so, notice this. It's the message that matters. It's the message that matters. Finishing up right here. It says, <clears throat> Elisha sent a message out to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. Very simple. Very, very, very easy to accomplish. Obey. Trust in faith. Go and wash. Don't put baptism in this place, okay? So all he had to do was, all right, the message is, what? Go wash in Jordan seven times. I can't even remember this without looking at it. All right, I've got leprosy. I'm a dead man walking. What do I need to do? So nobody walks out. Go wash in Jordan seven times. You'll be clean. Man, I don't do that. that. That's not how we respond. Ain't it funny how when, if you've ever counseled somebody, or, you know, if you've ever witnessed to somebody, and they're like, what do I need to give my life in order? Well, the Bible says, go you'll turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus. You know, marriage camp, I, I counsel everybody's marriage right here, right now, in less than, less than two minutes. Love Jesus more than you love one another. Give your heart and life to Him. From two husbands, love your wife, like Christ loved the church, gave so forth. Wives, submit to your husband, honor him and encourage him. You'll love each other. You'll fix everything in your marriage. Life will be happy. Every one of you sitting there going, you don't know, it's not that easy. That's the sound of the <laughs> You're doing just like Nathan did. Like, no, I ain't doing that. Like, okay, die leper, okay? <laughs> All right. <clears throat> we, thought you, we thought you were going to fix our marriage. Like, no, I'm not God, you know? So he goes on and he says, 
But Naaman became furious. I've seen that because Naaman became furious. He went away and said, Indeed, indeed, I said to myself, He will surely, is what I thought, He will surely come out to me, stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Man, I want to show the lights. Notice it wasn't his God at that time. This is what God's trying to fix. You see, I can't fix you with my God. He has to become your God. Right. And then he goes on down and says, um, and then notice what he says, he's looking for alternate routes. Verse 12, are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? And the answer would be, No. Aren't there better ways? Aren't there more impressive ways that we can approach God? Wouldn't it look like a whole lot better? You know, for instance, if one of you, like, I, I need to be saved. All right, then we're going to get, you know, uh, uh, we're going to line men dressed in suits down the aisle. And they're going to play music while you stroll up here. And everybody shouts your name. And you come up and we baptize you, you know, in the water. And we go through all this stuff and everybody sings. And you're like, I feel so good. You steal a dead man walking. That's right. Aren't there a lot better ways? Aren't there something more easy? Isn't there something that will bring more attention to me rather than this bloody cross up here that is offensive to me to think that you should say that I have to admit I'm a wicked, hell-bound sinner and rightly so and that the only way you're telling me the only route to God is for me to humble myself, to repent, to acknowledge Jesus, you're Lord, you're right, you're the only way, you're my only hope and without you, I'm going to burn in the devil's hell for all eternity and there's no other route. You're telling me that? God's like, yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. And if you don't humble yourself to that, you'll die with it. He goes on down. That's what it says. There's some smart folk with him. You said, and you're saying, I thought you said it was almost done. You know. <laughs> so in verse 13, his servants, that's naming servants, came near and spoke to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? I guarantee you, if I was to say, the Bible says that if you'll give $10,000, you'll be saved. This church would be packed full of people who would like to stand. You'd love to stand, not you, but it would be full of people who would love to stand and go, I'm going to heaven. Why? I gave $10,000. I gave $20,000. Wow. You would, you would do everything you could do. If I could prove that it was right, you would do everything you do. And there would be so many people saved. But to simply go, humble yourself. Admit you're a sinner. Trust in Jesus. Ah, that's not great. It's great for him. He's great. <laughs> he goes on that and says, Wouldn't you have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and he dipped seven times in the Jordan. Notice what this is right here underlying Bible. According to the saying of the man of God. What happened? His flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. Now, I'm going to finish with this. Say, why in the world did he say seven times? Because there are a lot of people who will get unbelief. There's a lot of people who will do it three and a half times. So why three and a half? Have part of it. You know That's right. You know, I, I'll go down and, and, and here's what it is. There's a lot of people who, when their lives fall apart, especially lost people, 
You know, and they come and they hear the gospel, repent. Surrender your whole heart to the Lord. He is Lord. And then all of a sudden you get the, you know, the three dippers. Well, Jesus is Savior, but He's not Lord. Well, He said seven times. Seven in the Bible means complete. God says, I want your complete obedience. I want your complete surrender. Do you want my complete salvation? Yes, I do, Lord. I want your complete surrender. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He didn't say, love the Lord with half your heart, half your soul, half your mind, and you know you keep everything else to yourself. He said, all, all, all. So that's asking a lot. Will you please stand at the foot of a bloodstained cross and go, you sure are asking a lot. He sure is offering a lot. And there's so many of us, and I'm, I want to talk to believers for just a second. There's so many of us believers who want to half-heartedly follow the Lord. What do I need to do? Follow Jesus. What, what does that entail? You mean going to church <laughs> every Sunday? Oh, what a sacrifice. Well, I started going every once in a while on Sunday night. Wow, the heavens are shaking. We went on Wednesday night one time last year, and it was Christmas. Oh, if, if God doesn't pour out a blessing that your life can't contain it, I don't know how He could be God. So when you look at this, the Lord says, if you want the power of God, if you want one, here's the thing, is what God offers you good. You know, I gave this, I think it was all Sunday night, so I want to give it to you this morning. Nathan mentioned it to me, but I want to share that one more time. So yes, I am repeat myself and then I'm done. Think about this. If you were standing there on the day of judgment, because you will be, Every one of us in this room, one day, we're going to stand before the Lord on the day of judgment. Now, this is a just what if story. What if, and there's going to be two crowds, there's going to be a division. Only two, not three crowds, not four crowds, two crowds on the day of judgment. One crowd will be those over here who are saints. They are saved, sealed because of what Jesus has accomplished for them and they just trusted in what He's done for the forgiveness of their sin. He is their hope. He is their Savior. He is their Lord. He is their righteousness. He is their offering. They're saved not because of they went to church, they were preachers, deacons, faithful to go to church, read the Bible, pray. They're saved wholly by the blood of Jesus. Don't add nothing to it. That group right there is going to heaven. They're going to be excited. They're going to be rejoicing. They have eternal life. Everything was given to them. They have a place that God has made for them. He's, they're going to bask in His love from now on and for all eternity. And then there's the other group. This is a group going to be full of preachers, going to be full of churchgoers, religious people, murderers, liars, abominable thieves, all these different people who simply are there because they rejected Jesus. I don't want nothing to do with that one way. I have my way. There's going to be a bunch of people, a multitude of people in this group. Now I want you to think about this, get this picture in mind. Think about it, if you were there and you could see the lake of fire. This is the final judgment. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15. You can see the lake of fire. And let's say in front of you, I don't know what it's going to be like. Let's say there's some angels out there, and as the people approach, they're cast into the lake of fire. You can see, you see people, you're like, dude, I'm in church with that guy. Wow. <laughs> That's not funny. <laughs> I went to church and I paid it. There's my mom and dad. 
Wait a second. My, my son, my daughter's in the screw. Wait a second. I'm in the screw. Can you imagine what, what your heart rate would be? If you looked and you saw a furnace coming and you're just, the line's steadily moving. Step forward. Did you trust Jesus as your Savior? Depart from me, you work of iniquity. I never knew you. Lord, didn't we do great and mighty things in your name? Didn't I preach? Didn't I go to church? Didn't I give? Didn't I do all this thing? God, please, please save me. Depart from me, you work of iniquity. I never knew you. What if you were in that line? You was about 10 feet away. You were waiting. And all of a sudden, an angel come up. Or let's say, I'll tell you That Jesus walks up and he's like, you know what? This one here, somehow there's a mistake. He's mine. And you stepped out right by you, looked into the abyss. But Jesus said, Stop the line. That was mine. His blood ball. He was a rich. He didn't do anything. He didn't give anything. But he trusted in me. And I am his Lord and Savior. Remove him from the line. Put him over here with these people that won't shut up. <laughs> Can you imagine? What would you feel at that moment to go? You know what I'm saying? That's right. I'm no longer headed in that direction. That's what all this is about. Because you are in one group or the other. Why would you not be in the group over here that simply went, I believe the love of Jesus. I'm so convinced by what He's done for me on the cross that He loves me. I'm so convinced by what He did in the grave that my sins are buried. I'm so convinced that He He has the power to redeem me because He rose from the grave and He offered me the gift of life freely if I would repent and turn to Him and trust Him in faith. So many people, I have no idea why they're going to be in this group. God wants to save you from this group. That's what this is about. First and foremost, before he wants to fix your marriage, before he wants to fix your finances, he's concerned about that day. And I'm not asking you this morning to come up front and make a profession. I'm just begging you. I, I would get out on my knees and beg that if you don't know Jesus, you don't know when that day's coming. And God has made his way, one way through his son, an amazing way. So if right where you sit, you don't even got to stand up during the invitation. You don't even got to have a song. You don't got to wait on me to shut up. Right where you are, if you go, God, I need you to save myself. I believe in Jesus. I'm not talking about certain words, but from your heart. Well, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to receive the grace and the love and the forgiveness you offer me. God, save me. Man, he will. He will every time. And you can walk away like Naaman walked away wholeheartedly surrender to the Lord today. If you're a believer, if I've got secrecy in my life that I'm holding on to, and I know it's working in my marriage, I know it's working in this area of my life, I know it's bringing about destruction, will you not just surrender to the Lord, bring it to Him, God, I don't want this in my life anymore. And you're worthy of my whole heart. Will you stand with your head bowed? Or you sit with your head bowed? Father, I love you. I thank you so much that you love us. And Lord, I have so much in my life that looks just like me. So prideful, Lord. American. To think that you ought to be impressed by my credentials. Lord, I just pray everybody here would just become a nobody today. Thank you, Jesus, that you became a nobody. 
Jeremiah that you were beaten to a bloody pulled and crucified publicly for sinners so that we could be saints. Lord, so that we could move from one crowd to the 